afternoon I would invite you to go to the gospel of Matthew chapter number 14 and we'll be reading verses 22 through 33 um, I'll be sort of just jumping straight into my words so let, let, let me just begin in prayer and then we'll get into it Heavenly Father we thank you and we're so grateful my God for my God this moment my God we don't take it lightly my God we give we just give ourselves, my God, to what you have to say to us in this moment, my God. Father God, I thank you that, my God, your word declares that you sent your word and you healed them, my God. And I pray that as your word comes forth today, my God, I, though it be my mouth that it is moving, let it be your spirit it's speaking into every life and heart. And my God, in consequence, my God, may something take place, my God, as your word enters the lives of your people, my God. My God, may it bring healing and brokenness. My God, may it bring life and lifelessness and hope. My God, we just trust in you, my God, that your word will do a work, my God, beyond just the vocabulary that's being done. My God, may you just really, my God, we just yield ourselves to the word, my God. More than just hearing it, my God, I pray that we receive it. And we just thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, and verses 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. I, I want to stop right there, and um, it's a bit of a long passage, so I want to interject some thought as we uh, uh, go through the passage. But the first thing I want us to take note of, that the disciples are not sending themselves, but rather Jesus sent them. He sent them, in fact, the, script, the way the scripture phrases it, it says that he, he made them, he made them get into the boat. In other words, they, they didn't even, they were, the, the insinuation in this passage is that there was some level of resistance to Jesus's Jesus' suggestion for them to go without him. And that Jesus actually sort of basically forced them into the boat. And I found this thought so amazing that I had to sort of recheck it almost in the original Greek. And in the original Greek, the Greek word is, um, I had problems pronouncing it the last service, but anakazo, if I didn't pronounce it right, don't hold me to it. But what more importantly than my pronunciation is that it, it, the, the, the meaning it sort of means he constrained them. He, he, he basically, it basically means that he pushed, he forced. They, this wasn't necessarily a willingness. He, he forced them to go. And I found that fairly interesting because it sort of destroys the notion that God never forces you to do anything. Have you ever heard that? God never makes you do anything, but... but 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 it, 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 we want. But there are moments 
where he does make you. Why? Because if you, once you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and you invite him to be Lord, he is at times really going to exert that place and become Lord, and become king, and become God. And there is moments that he will constrain you to his will and purpose. And for those of us who are stubborn about God's purpose, that's good news. Amen? That sometimes that God has to constrain us to his purpose. You're looking at me weird, but I, I, I would suggest to you that Joseph himself, while he was in prison, he was not there by choice. He was constrained to the purpose of God and constrained to the course that's set before him. Amen? So, and there are, there are moments, there are seasons that, that God will constrain you where, you, where you, he puts you into a situation and circumstance that you can't get out of. That no matter how much, if it, if it was by your choice and by your willingness, uh, your, your desire, you would be out of the situation. But there is times that God will constrain you towards a certain path, constrain you to his purpose, and constrain you to, constrain you to his will. Amen? We like the thought that God, that God opens doors, but God is a God that closes doors too in order to constrain you to your, his purpose and will in your life. That, some, that, that when we say scriptures that, are, that the steps of the righteous have been ordered, not suggested, but they have been ordered of the Lord, that sometimes when you don't, when it looks like you're making your own choices or circumstances are making choices for you, really you have to understand that when you've made Christ Lord of your life, that your steps are not your own, they are ordered of the Lord. Amen? And so, but you would have thought that if Jesus basically forced them into this situation, that he would at least make sure they found favorable winds, right? If you're going to make me do this against my will, the very least that you can do is make sure the winds are blowing in my favor. But the Bible says that the wind was contrary. I don't know who this is for, but there is someone who is wrestling with this thought that if this is God's will, if this is God's, if this God is really sending me, if he's really calling me, shouldn't things be going my way? Shouldn't things be happening in my favor that gives me a sign that I'm going in the right direction? Shouldn't things be happening in my favor? But I'm here to tell you that just because the winds are contrary, just because the situation is contrary, just because... The, your resources are contrary. Just because things are not happening in the way that you thought they were going to happen does not mean that God has not sent you. Hallelujah. Don't allow the stirring of the winds against you cause, to cause you to abandon your faith in what he has called you to do and who he has called you to be. Amen. Sometimes the waves, we, 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 and we have talked about this many times, sometimes the waves and wind come, it, it, sometimes it is a confirmation that you are going in the will of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? That, that, that sometimes don't expect that just because that you're in the will of God, everything is going to straighten out. Sometimes you will encounter resistance before you encounter favor. Amen.
And don't you for once ever believe that God will never send you into a storm. Because sometimes God wants to prove to you that he is the God who still works in the middle of the storm. And that he is calling in your life is not dependent upon circumstance, but rather it, it works above the circumstance. It works in the circumstance. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Don't wait for the winds to die down in order to walk in God's purpose and will for your life. Sometimes you're going to have to walk in it while the waves are raging and the wind is blowing. Sometimes, as Fritz was talking about last week, sometimes the will of God will not be convenient and will not come where you want it to come. And will not. Sometimes you're going to have to be able to step out and walk in it anyways. Trusting that God is able to keep you through the storm. Amen. Tell your neighbors, say, walk in it anyways. Hallelujah. Verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. Love how casually it puts it. <laughs> he was walking, walking on the sea like he, he was just walking down the street or something. <laughs> in the fourth watch of night, Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea... They were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Tell your neighbor and tell him it's him. It's him. Don't, don't, go, don't get startled. It's him. I don't get panicked. It's him. I know you're in the middle of a storm right now, but it's him. Hallelujah. Sometimes that's enough of a testimony to put your heart at ease. It is him. He is there. Don't, don't hit the panic button. Don't, don't, don't run away. It is him. Hallelujah. It is I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you. Notice he's not even sure, but <laughs> Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, I love Jesus. <laughs> You're walking on water. Things that he's like, why, why, why did you doubt? <laughs> I'm amazed I got out of the boat in the first place. I'm, ama I'm amazed I even asked this question. <laughs> we, 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 sometimes we criticize Peter. But how many, I, I'm sure, I don't know about you. I, I would like to think that I have bold faith. But I don't know if I'll be the first one to volunteer to step out of the boat. I'll probably wait to see what happened to Peter. Then I'll try, maybe follow him at least. But I'm going to see what happened to Peter first. <laughs> oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Yes, you are. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. 
Yes, he is. I said, yes, he is. Yes, he is. There's moments that you need reminding, right? They knew it, but there are moments that come where God sort of revives that testimony in your heart when you have to confess with your mouth and say, you are Lord, you are God. Amen. In fact, I love how Jesus uses the storm to reveal who he is. It was like Jesus said, I didn't cause the storm, but I'm going to take the opportunity of the storm to solidify and confirm the testimony of who I am in your life. I'm going to solidify in your heart that I am God, I am Lord, I am your way maker, I am your provider, I am your peace in the storm. I am your joy that needs no explanation. I am your strength in weakness. Tell him and say, yes, you are. I, tell, I don't know what storm you're in right now, but I dare you to tell the storm and say, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He is. He is. He is. He is. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why did you doubt? That's the question Jesus asks Peter. Now, those of you who know me know that I can't leave a question like that hanging in the air. Because we all know that God who created all things by his word, sustains things all by his word, sent his son, the living word, we know that this God does not speak in the rhetorical. That when he speaks, he speaks with intention, with purpose. Amen. That, that he, 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 he doesn't say things just to say things or ask things even for the benefit of his own information. As if he needed to know something about you that he already doesn't know. That the God who knows the thought that we're, going, we're trying to think before we think it. He knows that thought fully, he says. That God does not necessarily need to be informed. He knows. Tell your neighbor and say he knows. Sometimes you have to know, you have to know that in your heart. That itself gives you confidence. David said he knows my thoughts from afar off. He knows. He knows, he, he knows, he, he knows what you're struggling with. He, he, he knows what you're wrestling with, with your, in, in your thoughts, in your mind. He knows. Hallelujah. He knows. So when he asks a question, usually he's not usually, but all the time, he is asking for the benefit of our own revelation, not his. So I think it's worth entertaining the question, why did you doubt? And so verse 30 sort of represents the transition of, the, of this episode, of this event of Peter walking upon the water. And the Bible says when Peter, or when he, Peter, saw the wind... When he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, that was the transition point, the point when he saw. So the issue arose from what Peter saw. So in other words, the issue was not, it was an issue of a shift of focus and perspective because the wind was blowing contrary before Peter even stepped out of the boat. They were struggling long before Peter stepped out of the boat. So it, it was not a change in the environment, but a change of focus and perspective. 
So, in fact, ironically, all Peter did was really, he focused upon the very thing he asked to be called out into. And when he focused upon the calling, Peter began to sink in the very thing he asked to be called out and to walk on. But I would suggest to you that the real power, the real power of the story is not what Peter was walking on, but rather who Peter was walking towards. I want you to read verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you, not come to it, but command me to come to you on the water. So when Peter asked, the focus was not the water. The focus was him. Command me to come to you on the water. And as long as Peter was able to focus on who he was walking towards, Peter was able to walk on the water. What I love about this account is that this, it, it sort of represents a testimony of what it means to walk in the call of God for your life. And, and, and I, I want to encourage you that, 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 that being called does not mean you stand on stage. We are all called. I said we are all called. That's, that's what we are, the church. We are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. Just preach to your neighbor and tell them I'm called. Some of you didn't look to your neighbor. You, you're scared of your neighbor. You're scared that your neighbor is going to disagree with you, but that's okay because your neighbor is not calling you. He called you. Amen? So you can tell them. Just tell them, I'm called. Yeah, I'm not just saved. I'm called. I'm not just alive and existing. I'm called. You are called with a purpose. You are called with an assignment. There, there is a calling upon your life. You are here for a reason. You didn't just happen here. You are in God's mind, in God's heart. You were created for a purpose. You've been called. We've been all called out and called upon. We've, we're all called upon something. But the moment you begin to focus upon what you are called on and lose sight of who you're walking towards, Christ, the one who called you, is when you begin to sink. If the water represents what the, the what of the calling, okay, the, the thing, the whatever it is, if the water represents the what of the calling, how many of you understand that water cannot carry you? Water cannot support you. You cannot rely upon water or the calling to support or sustain you. It, can, it doesn't have the strength to carry you. Or let me put it like this. You cannot walk on water. You cannot, I want to repeat this. If you disagree with me, you can try after service. You cannot walk on water. Water cannot hold you up. And the moment Peter looked to the water 
to hold him up, Peter found out you cannot walk on water. You see, it wasn't so much that Peter was walking on the water as much as it was Peter walking towards Christ. That's who was holding him up. The water was not holding him up. Christ was holding him up. It was the who. That's who was sustaining him. Notice I didn't say that's what was sustaining him. That's who was sustaining him. That, that is who was strengthening him. That's who was holding him up. That's who was keeping him. It's not your job. It's not your title. It's not your income. It's not your bank account. It's not your skills. It's not your gifting. It's not your health. It is, it is he who lives in you. Not what lives in you, but he who lives in you. Greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. That's, that's what sets us up. It's what really sets us apart from everyone else in the world is not that we walk through that, that we don't go through storms. We go through storms like everyone else. The same storms and the same things that hit everybody else will hit us. The difference is their hope is in the circumstance, but our hope is in the person of Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? If our hope is in the circumstances, then we are no different from anyone else in the world. That's everybody else's hope. That's, that's everybody else's supply. If, you're, if your trust is in the supply of your income and job, you're no different from anyone else in your office. That's, what, that's everybody else's hope. The difference is the person, he is sustaining me. He is holding me up. And as long as I keep the who in focus, it doesn't matter what the waters are doing because you were never walking on the water. You are walking towards him. Nudge your neighbor and tell them, get back in focus. Get back in focus. Get back your focus. It's all about focus. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. It says, let, you, let, you, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured the, such opposition from sinful men so that you will not, watch this now, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes. Tell your name, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes so you do not lose heart. Notice that there is a connection between the focus of your eyes and the condition of your heart. Fix your eyes so you do not lose heart. So you lose heart, when you lose heart, it is not an issue of the situation. It is an issue of focus. They that keep their mind stayed upon you shall be kept in perfect. There is a connection between your focus and your heart. Your heart will follow your focus. So, Peter, fix your eyes. Fix your focus right here, Peter. Because if you fix your eyes, you can keep walking if you fix your eyes. You can keep moving forward despite the storm if you fix your eyes. 
that's what that's why Jesus said of communion. He he said that, he said as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, of me, not your sins, of me. Sometimes when we take communion, we're thinking about our sins. But Jesus said, he didn't say as often as you do this, think about your sins. He says as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, this this is something that I set up to refocus your thoughts. To, to, to refocus, in other words, he was, he's basically saying, get your thoughts back in focus. Get your mind back in focus. Get your heart back in focus. Why? Because Jesus knew that we are going to walk through some storms that we're going to throw off our focus. That we are going to walk through some things that, that threaten, that blow not just the boat, not just the waves, but that shifts and blows our focus. And so God set up appointments of remembrance. That's what I love even about this whole Easter season. It is a, an appointment of remembrance. And Easter, or in the, in the, in the scriptural context, uh, Passover, Passover in Exodus, Exodus 12, it, it talks about how this, that the, the purpose of setting up the Passover was in an appointment. It was a memorial as an appointment of remembrance to bring our minds back in focus. That's what the season is about, to bring our minds back in focus. And see, if it did not have consequence, God would not have established it. Remembrance is not just a mental exercise, but it's spiritual. Remembrance is powerful. How many understand it? Remembrance is powerful. Remembrance is restoration. All, even all throughout the Psalms, David, when he would go through certain situations and he was wrestling with things... You'll find many times in those places he would say, but these things I remember. I remember how you helped me. I remember how I used to lead the procession into the house of God. I remember how you led Israel through the wilderness and led them through the, the sea. I remember, remember what, what, what's happening. As he remembers, restoration is taking place. Redemption is taking place. A refocus is taking place. And as refocus is taking place, praise is restored. His soul is restored. Are you understanding what I'm saying to me? It's powerful. So with this message, we're going to begin sort of our Easter series that I'm entitling The Encounter. And I pray that it will serve to sort of fix our eyes once again. And because, see, this is what Jesus is giving his disciples as they strained against the winds and the waves in the boat, he was giving them an encounter. Now, the, it's, it's, it's an issue. God is setting up this encounter that they're about to have. In fact, you, you, you understand this from what we first started talking about, how God made them get into the boat, there is something that Jesus seems to be trying to set up. Because it's a, it's, it's a bit unusual because everything we see of scriptures tells us that God wants us close, right? Keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, it, it, everything in scripture sort of insinuates and draws us to the concept that God wants us near, that he went to the cross to bring us near. There's, because there, there, there is a intimacy that comes with proximity, right? And so the disciples really, they have an intimate 
relationship with Jesus. They have a daily fellowship with him, if you would. I mean, in a way that, 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 that few of us could probably understand. They, 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 they walked with him. They followed him. They spoke with him. And this is daily. They, they, they ate with him. They slept with him. They woke up with him. They ministered to, with him. They were with him. In so many different ways, they were with him. And in, in, in fact, it's funny. Remember we talked about in the end how it says they worshipped him. And said, truly you are the son of God. It's interesting that, that though this, they have this proximity with him, there's not very few moments that you actually see or hear that the disciples do this. Because here's the issue with proximity. The, while proximity will build intimacy... The same proximity that brings intimacy over time can also bring familiar, familiarity. Okay? And when, when proximity turns intimacy to familiarity, what happens is it begins to actually kill intimacy and also kill growth. Because you, you, you know, you, you've grown so common with the person next to you, that you don't see them for who they really are anymore. Does that make sense? So, Jesus now, Jesus forced them ahead without him. Jesus sent them ahead without him so that distance would break the ties of familiarity. And so now Jesus uses the space in between to give them a fresh revelation and a fresh encounter of who he is. I want to help somebody who sometimes you're going through a season where it feels like he is far from you. That your prayer life is not what it was and, 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 and you're trying to pray like you used to pray but you don't feel him like you used to feel him. And some of us are wondering what is going on and what's happening. But I would suggest that sometimes God will create some distance in order to break familiarity so he can give you a fresh revelation of who he is. Are you understanding me? That we come into those moments where, where he, sometimes he has to create some space to, get, to re-reveal himself to you. And, but what I love about this is that if you look at Mark's account of this whole account... The Bible says that from where Jesus was on the shore, he saw the boat from where he was, even though there was distance. They didn't know he was seeing them, but he saw them struggling on the boat. And I want to let you know that some of you feel he's so far, but you're, he's not as far as, he thinks, as you think he is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He still sees you. He still sees what you're going through. He hasn't left you. His, his mind, his heart is still on you. That he made sure, even though he created the distance, he made sure I, I still know where you are. I, I, I know what you're going through. I know what's happening. So even though it feels like I'm far, I'm not that far. And the Bible says Jesus, seeing that they were struggling, we're now walking to them. The fourth watch of night. To tell your neighbor, say, he's coming. He's coming. 
the disciples, the disciples, uh, and uh, let, me, let me say this actually before I move on, is that every so often Jesus will give you a fresh encounter that resets and breaks the ceiling of the perspective of who you think he is in your life. Amen. He will tell Abraham, lift up your eyes and count the stars. He'll, he will show Moses a burning bush. He will give Joseph a dream of dreams. He will tell Peter, cast out your nets. He, every so often, God will give you an encounter that will reset an experience, your experience point with him. This, this, the disciples are about to experience Jesus in a way they have never encountered him before. And will now up the stakes of who they perceive him to be. And so he comes walking on the waters and he comes, he's, he's walking on the very waves they are struggling with. Walking on top of the thing they're wrestling with. Walking on top of the thing they fear. It sort of reminds me of John, what Jesus said in John 16, 33. It says, Jesus told his disciples, in the world, you will have tribulation. And Jesus is bad because he's not afraid to tell you the storm is coming. He's not afraid to tell you the storm is coming. Sometimes preachers are afraid to tell you the storm is coming. But Jesus is not afraid to tell you the storm is coming. He said, he said don't get surprised or shocked when the, the storm is going to come. He said, in this, you are going to have it. You're going to walk through it. <laughs> Jesus was confident enough to tell us this because he's confident enough in his power in your life. And so he says, in this life, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Woo! Listen to that. Doesn't that blow your mind? He said, even when you walk through it, I want, I want you to be joyful while you're still walking through it. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? You want to prove to others, you want to, you want to prove to others the faith that you live in your heart? Show it through your attitude. Right? The Bible says, it says, while you're walking through the storm, he said, he said, he said you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? He says, for I have overcome the world. I have already overcome the thing you're struggling with. I've already overcome the thing you're wrestling with. I've already overcome the thing that you're wrestling with at night. I have already overcome the situation. I've already overcome the wind that feels like it's holding you back. But Jesus did not only overcome it. He did not only overcome it, but Jesus wanted to make a spectacle out of it. Because Jesus used it as a transportation method. He used the thing they were struggling in as a transportation method and walked on top of it. You see, God wants to make, God does not just want to get you, the, get you out of the situation. He wants to use the situation. He's going to use, not, he's going to use anything else, but he says, I'm going to use a spectacle of the thing that you're in and use it as a transportation method to get you to where I called you to be. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? To ask Joseph how, how God can use the betrayals and the pits and the injustice. He used it all as a transportation method to get him. He could have done it any other way, but God wants to show you that he is God even in the storm, that his purpose still stands even in the storm. Hallelujah. That's good. That's worth an amen. Hallelujah. And see, this is the thing. Jesus did not stop with walking on the waters. That was one level of encounter. But Jesus did not only walk upon the water, he called Peter to come out with him. Jesus said, I am inviting you into a victory I've already won. I, I, I've won it. Now I'm going to call you out into the victory that I've already won. I've overcome it. Now you come and walk in what I have already overcome. I don't just want you to witness it. I want you to participate in it. Hallelujah. That's why he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Because I'm not going to just, because some of you have been thinking, well, that's good for you, Jesus, but what about me? <laughs> the thing is, it's an open invitation. He wants you to come in and participate. That's why the Bible says he has made us more than overcomers. Why, why more? How can you be more than an overcomer? Because you didn't fight the battle. He fought the battle and won the battle. Now he calls you to come be a part of the victory that he already won. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So I'm more than an overcomer because I look like I won the battle, but I didn't fight. I got the medals, but I didn't fight. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I got the victory, but he did the fighting. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? God, God said, I want you at rest knowing that I already want. Now, isn't that what the cross is? The, the cross, Jesus said, I, 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 I did the work of righteousness. Now I want you to come into the righteousness I already won. It is finished. Now you just come and walk in what's already finished. Hallelujah. And Paul crescendos that thought and he says, if, he, if, if that's what he did with Christ, how will he not also freely with Christ give us all things? In other words, that testimony extends to any other struggle in your life. Is that good? Yes. Hallelujah. But it led me to a thought which is sort of going to frame our thought for the next few weeks. Every encounter is not just an encounter, but it is an invitation. Every encounter is not just an encounter, but it's an invitation. That when God gives us an encounter, God is not just giving us an experience, but he is calling us and inviting us to something that's greater. In other words, the encounter is just the door. It's just the door. It's just a knock at the door. But like the knock at the door, our response will determine the impact of the encounter. The level of our response unlocks the impact potential that's on the other side of the encounter. Romans 8. How, how, many, how many of us know this passage, passage of Scripture that 
if God be for us, who can be against us? How, how many of us know that promise? What's interesting about that promise we know so well, it's, it, it's, it's a promise in proxy in the context that it was not a direct promise delivered by God. But let me, let me show you something. Eight, Romans 8, 30 verses, uh, I mean, Romans chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this, if God is for us, who can be against us? So that's the response. But look how powerful the response has become in our life. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Sometimes the response is as important as the promise, if, if not more so. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? That thing that we quote that has made such an impact upon our life was the response from the promise, not the promise itself. Does that make sense? Jesus said about the, fruit, the fruitfulness of the word of God in our lives, he said, to some 30, to some 60, to some 100 times what was sown. Did you, did you, did you see that, that those dimensions? He said this is the potential that's locked up in the word. To some 30, to some 60, to some 100. It, in other words, it's talking that there's multiple levels of impact possible in the one word of God. The impact of the word is dependent upon the response of the ground. To some 30, to some 60, to some 100, according to their response. Hallelujah. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? So, for instance, the Bible talks about blind Bartimaeus. And the Bible says that he heard that Jesus was passing by. He heard that Jesus, he heard a testimony. And it could, he could have treated it like, for most people, it was just an event that passed by. It was an encounter that passed by. It was a good conference. It was a good Sunday sermon. It was whatever you want to call it. It was a, it was a, it was a nice, it, it, and it could have passed him by. But Blind Bartimaeus, the difference is he responded. He responded to the encounter. To others, it was something that just passed by. I mean, they had, what happened? Jesus just passed by. Well, man, that was a large crowd. That was amazing. Did you see the, the crowd that was surrounding him? But Bartimaeus said, I'm not going to allow this to pass by. I'm going to respond. And he, and, and he said, son of David, have mercy upon me. And everyone tried to shush him and say, shh, you're disturbing the event. You're disturbing the encounter. I'm, a, I'm watching. I'm watching. Be quiet. I can't, I can't hear what's happening. But he was not there for the event. He was there to respond. He said, son of David, have mercy upon me. The response unlocked the impact of the encounter. You can have an encounter. It's one thing to have an encounter, 
But it's another thing to respond to the encounter. How you respond determines the weight of the encounter. Every, you see, when we read this story, and if you actually if you go to the other Gospels, you will, you will find out that uh, actually Matthew was the only one who recorded this portion of the encounter. Of course, Matthew was there. He was one of the few people that at least that were there. But, but you, you have a feeling somewhat that the rest of the disciples, because they didn't walk out, everybody heard, it is I. Every one of the disciples heard the testimony. They had the encounter of Jesus walking on the water. And let's be honest, as the other gospels might show you, that's an event all by itself, worthy to take note of. All of them said, we saw Jesus in the middle of the storm walking on the water. And they all testified to it. That can be your book right there. Your encounter. But Peter did not stop there. When Peter heard, it is I, do not be afraid, he responded. That response unlocked a whole other encounter, a whole other testimony, a whole other story. Could there be another story in the encounter that you have been experiencing with God? He said, if it is you, I don't want to remain. If, if, if this is really an encounter with you, I don't just want to watch. I want to participate. He said, call me out to you to come on the waters. And Peter walked upon the water. The, story, the testimony of Peter is a testimony of response. Tell your neighbor and tell him it's time to respond. Could there be another level of encounter that God wants to give to you on the other side of your response? Could there be a greater revelation of who God wants to show you he is, of who he wants to show you he is in your life? But it's waiting on a response. Because in that response, Peter encountered, it is I, in a different level in a different depth, in a different weight. It's one thing to know it here. Peter knew it down here. He knew it as I. He experienced it as I. He walked towards it as I. It was a different context of revelation. I want to end with this thought and then When Elijah came and called Elisha, the Bible says that, that in the, when, when, when he was called, that Elisha was actually plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He, in other words, he was going through everyday life, and all of a sudden, life got interrupted. Sometimes God will interrupt you. And sometimes it won't be convenient, as Fitzgerald was talking about. And uh, really, this thought also is a connection, connection to what she was sharing the last couple of weeks. But 
the Bible says he was plowing with, I mean, 12 yoke of oxen also, if you thought about it. I never thought about this. I was thinking about like 12, well, yoke, which means there's two pairs. There, there's, there's two, which means you're talking about 24 head of cattle. This, in other words, Elijah was uh, in person of some means. His family was a family of some means. They, they were not poor. They, they, didn't, they had things happening. They had life happening. They had pretty good life happening. And the Bible says that Elijah, Elijah, Elijah he, he walks by Elijah. And typical Elijah way, I have to imagine, I, I think I relate to Elijah a lot in, certain, in terms, I don't think he's very sociable. <laughs> in that, I think he's some type of introvert or, or something because he didn't announce he didn't say, he didn't come to Elisha and make some big fanfare and say, Elisha, behold, the Lord has sent me to anoint you in my stead. And now I'm going to pour oil upon you. Now you're going to succeed me. And you're going to follow me for the next time. And now I'm going to train you. He didn't say any of that. Didn't, didn't announce, Elisha, this is what's happening. The Bible says that Elijah came by almost like he is disinterested. Almost like he's being forced or coerced to do this. He just, he just came to Elijah, he saw him plowing, and he threw his mantle and walked away. Didn't say a word to him. Didn't say what this is about. Now, and this is what I want to talk about this. I said all of that to say this. The encounter is very suspect. It wasn't a lot of fanfare to it, right? I, I mean, he just threw his garment through his jacket, and walked. Some of us, we, we may get excited because we know the context. There's no other context for this for Elisha. I, I mean, it's not like he had sermons or, or this. He just threw his, his jacket and walked away from him. But Elisha, Elisha said, wait. Wait a second. Let me say goodbye to my parents. I don't know. I'm not sure what went on in Elisha's mind at this moment. But it's funny, Eli you know what Elijah said to him? Even Elijah said, what did I do to you? He, Elijah said, I didn't, we, did, we didn't do anything yet. I, I just drew my jacket. He said, what, did I, what have I done to you? <laughs> and the Bible says that Elijah, Elisha rather, he went and took his oxen that he was plowing with. And he killed the oxen. And he took the plowing equipment as wood for the fire. And cooked the oxen that he had, was plowing with just a few moments ago. In other words, Elijah, Elijah is saying, I'm not coming back. This is a one-way street for me. Can, can I tell you something? Sometimes... Sometimes options don't do us good. Sometimes we, we, we live life like there were so many different options. That there, were, there was an option of not following him. But, but that, and, and I feel that sometimes this mentality is dangerous for us. That we need to put ourselves in a position of no, no return. So, so, sometimes you, you need to be able to close some doors and put yourself on a straight path. Options, options, options. So, sometimes we're confused because we just have too many options. That's why sometimes I, I praise God when he constrains you. Amen? Sometimes God will close doors and constrain the options. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So some, some of you, you're crying because options are closing. You should praise God. Because he's, he's, he's just making the path in front of you clear. <laughs> Side note. <laughs> but the Bible says he threw it. He killed the oxen and fed his family and followed Elijah. I said this all to say this, that the encounter didn't feel like it was big. It was just a knock on the door. But what unlocked the story was his response. We've all, Christ has died for all of us. Most, most of us here have experienced or encountered the cross to some dimension or another. But could there be a greater level of response that will open a greater level of encounter to the same thing? He died for all of us. He didn't die more for one person than the other. What sort of sets us apart is our response to the cross, not the cross itself. He loved, God so loved the, the world that he gave his only son. The world, you, you, every single person, he offered the encounter. But what sets us apart now is not the encounter, but the response. And all I'm suggesting, I'm not trying to create a spirit of competition or, or, or anything. But what I'm trying to, I guess, trigger in you is a hunger to know that there is more on the other side of that encounter. And I believe the challenge that I want us to challenge, uh, start to go through over these next three weeks as we talk about the cross and remember the cross and go back to the place of the cross, I would suggest there is more in the cross than we are experiencing. And if we just elevate our encounter, the what, what comes out of it would also be on a different level. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that God wants to give us a fresh encounter through a fresh response. I want to say that again. I believe that God wants to give us a fresh encounter through a fresh response. Amen.